0: Welcome back. Well, Colin Marshall is a guy who is passionate about cities, his native city of Los Angeles, his adopted city of Seoul, and countless other urban jungles around the world. Even a brief Google search of his name will turn up articles he's written for major newspapers and magazines, as well as a nearly encyclopedic amount of blogging and podcasting he's created on the topic of city life. I have been living in Seoul for around nine years, give or take, and I was really embarrassed about the fact that I've never been to the top of the famous 63, or Yuksam building, in Yoido. I decided this week was the time to change that, and Colin was the perfect guy to fill me in on all the facts, figures, and history. Why don't you come along for the ride? Colin, every city needs a monolith. You know, you got the Eiffel Tower in Paris, Big Ben in London, what does Seoul have?
1: Seoul has the building we are sitting under, the 63 building, uh, known officially as the Hanwha 63 city or 63 square, but everybody in Seoul knows it as the 63 building, the Yuksan building. You think
0: it lives up to that building, that sort of the great building that instantly identifies Seoul in even a common photograph?
1: Well, I think I think to myself, what other building could, because the symbolic value of this building is so high. People know it here as the, they call it the gynni, which means the gold tooth. Uh, Anybody will know why, if they see the building, it's gold. It's, It's covered in reflective gold glass. And in a way, gold tooth is, it's symbolically perfect as a name, or semiotically perfect, because. It's really it's bling. The 63 building is the piece of bling that, in 1985, when it opened, announced Korea made it. Korea arrived. Korea came up. Uh, here is our gold tooth, our big gold monolith. And as a statement, I think you're absolutely right. This this is the monolith of Seoul. And there's going to be other higher buildings. The Lotte Tower is gonna be done someday, and it's gonna dwarf everything. Uh, there's a taller building in Songdo, the Northeast Asia Trade Tower, known as NEET, but 63 still is the symbol, I
0: think. Is this a finance building? Is this a commerce building? What, what What's going on within these four walls?
1: That's a good question, because there's so much going on in these four walls. 30,000 people a day use this building, and it's mostly an office building, you're right. It's, uh, the vast majority of the floors are just offices, but there are also restaurants. There's an IMAX theater. There's, we're sitting in a coffee shop at the bottom. You can buy high-end menswear or purses across the way. There's an aquarium. There's a wax museum three floors below us, which I think is closed for the moment, but it'll come back, uh, where you can see you know, Park Chung-hee next to Michael Jackson in sort of semi-realistic uh, wax <laughs> instantiations. But the point is, it's, it's a destination, and it was supposed to be a destination. There's commercials from the 1980s uh, when the building opened they bill it as this place the whole family can go from the kids to the parents to harmony and to just thrill at the various parts of modernity that the 63 building had brought to seoul and thus to korea
0: This building went up, it was uh, revealed, out, unveiled to the, the public in early 80s, is that what you In said?
1: 1985, yeah, the idea being, get it ready for the Olympics in 1988. Ah. And outside this building on the firebreak was where they lit the torch to begin the Olympic Games in 1988. So not only was it a symbol for the time of the Olympics when Korea debuted in the world, in the modern world, it was also the place where the Olympics began here. And in a way, you can think about it, this, this era, the the 1980s, Korea was in development. It was pre-democracy as we know it today. It was a different country in so many ways. There weren't other skyscrapers, really. So picture picture the 63 building with, from a distance, nothing around it, uh, as just this lone symbol of where Korea was going to go, where Seoul was going to go. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Colin, we are uh, just outside the building. Beautiful day out here and just kind of taking in the exterior of the building. It remains impressive after all of these years.
1: It does, it still looks, in a way, new. I mean, it's not that dated, is it? It doesn't look like it was built yesterday, but it doesn't seem like a total, you know, you think of 1985, it's, uh-huh. it's, you think it's gonna be like a checkerboard or something right. like that. You know, it's That's gold, right. it's tasteful, it's held up, and you know, not a lot of, not a lot of buildings or anything from 1985 Korea have, have held up so well.
0: Exactly, and you wonder, some of the things that are put out there today uh, not pointing fingers but Dongdaemun Design Plaza, <laughs> you know, things designed to look uh, futuristic, quote unquote, right. will they have that sort of retro-futuristic
1: look in the future when the future actually arrives? Right, Will they seem like yesterday's idea of yeah. tomorrow. And this probably wasn't an idea of tomorrow, this was today. Korea has reached today, so it really is, it was the extreme present in 1985. And in that sense you know it's it doesn't it doesn't look like a fantasy; it just looks like a simple statement here we are here 's our monolith
0: what distinguishes this building is the coloring I mean so many buildings are either silver or gray, and this has these sort of gold or amber panels all the way up um, you, you, they're really almost like one way mirror glass and you can't see inside it's um I suppose that aspect is a bit futuristic.
1: Yeah, yeah, as we say, the gumni gold tooth. The gold tooth, it's the bling of soul.
0: So, Colin, uh, getting in the elevator at the 63 building will set you back about uh, 13,000 or so, depending on your age. And now, almost Superman-like, we're watching the glass panels whoosh by and soaring up above the Hangang. It's a beautiful sight, actually. It
1: is, yeah, and they say on a clear day, once we get up at the top, you can see Incheon. I can already see
0: Namsan, of course, and uh, across all the way down, uh, east and west, on the um, on the Hangang, several different bridges out in
1: both directions really the architectural signature of Seoul, all of the Danji all of the apartment high-rises, more so than, even more so than the 63 building, I would say those are the architectural signature of Seoul.
0: It's relatively rare, with the exception of perhaps Namsan itself, to be this high above the city and also this close into the city. When you go hiking out in sort of the perimeter mountains, you get the panoramic view, but you don't feel like you're right smack in the middle of it.
1: It's true, and it's also often repeated as a fact about the 63 building. It's only a little shorter than Namsan itself. So these are some of the two great heights of Seoul. Yeah.
0: You get a real sense for the expanse of the River as well. You can see how wide it is right from above. Ostensibly, they've got some art exhibits up here, but I don't know why anybody would want to look anywhere but out the windows. The real exhibit is outside. Yeah. It's true. So let's see, we're on uh, the south side facing west right now. Do mm-hmm. I have that correct? I think so. What's interesting to me is you, you can see Kangbuk and Kangnam at the same time. We're looking straight down perpendicular of the Hangang River. And we can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, bridges in the distance all the way down to the World Cup Stadium area where TBS's headquarters are. And the thing that jumps out at me is right below us, the uniformity of these, uh, what seem to be apartments.
1: Right, they are, they're all stamped out in a way that strikes Westerners as a little bit too similar. I mean, Uh you get used to it, you've lived here longer than I have, but it really tells you about the nature of Seoul and the nature of the, the nature of the way Seoul grew and the way Korea grew. It grew so fast, you needed to house everybody. So you needed these sort of cookie cutter, you could call them complexes, and they're dense in Gangnam. They're even denser in Gangbuk. You can just see the difference in density as you look from the left to the right, from up here on the top of the 63 building.
0: And Koreans by and large, certainly those of
1: past decades, don't think boxy is necessarily a bad thing. They don't think boxy is necessarily a bad thing, and there's actually a book that I very much enjoy called Concrete Utopia, or Concrete Utopia, which is about how... These complexes were sold very effectively to the Korean public as modernity. In some of the same sense that the 63 building represents modernity, these apartment buildings did as well. They're much homelier. They're not as sort of tasteful, maybe, as the 63 building. But in the same way, they represented uh, an entrance into the first world. I moved here from Los Angeles, and there's a really really clear analogy here, because Los Angeles, like Seoul, is a city that confuses people. They're not sure how it's laid out. Uh They're not sure how to get around. They're not sure what's where. There's no, it's hard to intuitively grasp Los Angeles or Seoul. But in Los Angeles, I found a way to orient visitors, friends who came to just check out the city where I lived, by taking them up to places like the Getty Center, which is up in the hills, or the Griffith Observatory, or the Bonaventure Hotel downtown. Looking down on the city helps to understand it. I think it's true in Seoul as well. If you get the view from Namsan Tower, if you get the view from here in the 63 building, you really, the city comes together better. Someone who just came, take them up here, and they'll really start to understand. You feel
0: the sprawl of Seoul up here. This Seoul is a sprawling city. It's not like a, a packed in dense, uh, metro, metropolis. Like yeah, it's say not Man. European right.
1: or New York, which is European in its own way.
0: Mm. Each side of this 63 building view seems to offer something very different. Uh, we're on the, I guess it's the east side now, right? Mm. And we can see out in the distance, the Lotte tower.
1: Yes, still Uh, under construction.
0: It's still under construction. It is dramatically higher than anything that surrounds it. Uh, Some have made some sort of Tolkien-esque comparisons,
1: (laughs) uh, but... It, it is a dramatic tower, isn't it? It's gonna be so much higher than everything else. And this building, the 63 building was, it enjoyed a very brief reign as the tallest building outside of America. Uh, so obviously the tallest building in Asia as well from 1985 to 1987. But when that building goes up, when the Lotte Tower goes up, uh, yeah, it's, it's dwarfing everything else. It's dwarfing, even as I mentioned before, the Northeast Asia Trade Tower in Songdo. You said the,
0: the coming out for this building was kind of uh, 85 just before the Olympics it was a it was a one upmanship of another asian uh, colossus right
1: right exactly and there's still controversy over exactly how many floors this building should be said to have because there's three underground because there's 60 above and there's no 44th floor maybe because of the the taboo about four in mm-hmm. east asia mm-hmm. so you can calculate it differently and there's you know certain stairs go to certain floors you can't get on the elevator and all that but it's the 63 building called that because The last building to be the tallest in Asia, before this building opened in 1985, was the Sunshine 60, a tower in Japan, in Tokyo, in Ikebukuro. Uh, So they wanted to make sure to emphasize this beat that Japanese building. You know, they're both 60 floors above ground. This is indeed taller by meters uh, than the Sunshine 60, but you can't have the the Sunshine 60 and the 60 building. That seems like it's the same, you know? Mm -hmm. You You gotta outdo Japan, which was then. Think about it. 1980s Japan was the most impressive economy in the world in well do you remember products. Die Hard I mean there yeah, was a in, Japanese building they were in Los Angeles a- yeah in Los Angeles and
0: yeah. uh, there was a legitimate almost Trump style uh, demagoguery going on that Japan was
1: going to eat our lunch for decades to yeah, come yeah there was that book Japan as number one the, the fear was Japan would be number one so think about this for Korea in, in, 19, in the 1980s as we say pre-democracy still developing to have a tower taller than any in Asia not just Japan with an IMAX theater even at that time these high class restaurants high end everything this was in a way it was it was more modern it was the building brought the country farther into modernity itself just by being here does the 63
0: building still play any kind of relevant modern Role in the pop culture—it hasn't been eclipsed over time.
1: It's still a cultural icon, you know. It's appeared in music videos and movies and all sorts of things over the years. But even now, more than thirty years after its construction, more than thirty years after its opening, it's appearing in. Well, it was in a song by a singer named Forty or (laughs)
0: Forty. And that's a good musical note to close on. My thanks once again to Colin Marshall. Look for his copious writing and blogging about cities online, especially an extensive podcast series he did on Urban Life right here in Korea. That's also going to wrap this spring and summer season of KoreaScape. An enormous shout out has to go out to our producer E.Q. Huang, who moves to the Wake Up Crew in this upcoming season. We've had a great run, and the whole team is going to miss you. Our associate producer Jamie Lee is sticking around, as is our writer Nikki Kim, and so am I. I'm Kurt Asian. We'll see you on Monday with the brand new season. <laughs> feel up ta senga